CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, now we just finished interviewing the great Heather Booth. Folks, you're going to hear Heather. Uh, it's a great interview, if I must say so myself. 40 minutes of fantastic conversation about politics, what Democrats have to do to defeat Donald John Trump. And uh, so, uh, and uh, we went back in time, talked about some stuff in the 60s. So Heather Booth, as promised, will be here. But before we do that, uh, Lenny Mana Hopperworth from uh, the Chicago Reader, my beloved Chicago Reader, is with us. And she's sort of the driving force for these uh, indivisible interviews I do. She helps me uh, get get the guests on and uh, promotes indivisible, talks about what indivisible is up to, and also tells you what the reader's up to. And ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you, we say this all the time. We appreciate your support for the reader. It's hard times for the reader. We could use all the support we can get in the middle of this pandemic. So Lenny, it's a twofer. Tell us about Indivisible and tell us about the reader. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me here. I'm always excited to talk about both of those topics about Indivisible. So Indivisible, if you didn't know who uh, Indivisible was, we are a grassroots uh, network that popped up after Donald Trump was elected. And a lot of us actually marched for the first time and during the Women's Marches um, in 2017, and we moved forward and created our own group. So if you didn't know, there's an Indivisible group in Chicago, uh, and there are neighborhood groups in Chicago. There are also groups in the suburbs, including Brookfield. Evanston, you know, Laura Tanner was on the line with us not too long ago talking about Wisconsin, and I could touch on that later. We have groups in Metro East area and Shawnee, Champaign, Urbana, Peoria, and Springfield, and we're all working together to do three things, which is hold the House, flip the Senate, and get rid of this malignancy, which is sitting in the White House. Um, and I try not to listen to his press conferences, but for some reason I felt compelled to watch it yesterday and I just, it's unbelievable, Ben, it's unbelievable, just so ugly, the ugliness that comes out of there. So we're coming together to resist the hate that's coming out of this administration, him and everybody that he's supporting him. And we're doing that in um, many ways. One of them is um, to be angry and to be aware, but also to volunteer and step up. So. We have um, three states that we're focusing on right now. Um, you you heard from Laura, and she was talking about the postcards to Wisconsin. And uh, Reed McCollum is behind that effort. It's two million postcards to Wisconsin, but also not only Wisconsin, but to Michigan. So today, if you didn't know, there's a special election in Wisconsin, and uh, Trisha Zunker is up um, uh, and, and she's great. She's in the northernmost part of Wisconsin and we did a lot of phone banking for her and we're hoping that she can uh, ride the blue wave. Uh, we got to get the vote out and you know, uh, we're gonna touch on vote by mail in a little bit, but we do not wanna have um, that happen again. Uh, we want to have safe, secure and accessible elections, not only in Wisconsin, um, but also in Illinois throughout the nation. And they are working at the federal level to get more aid um, for 
Um, in fact, uh, Pelosi just um, unveiled her heroes uh, bill right now, and we are asking folks to call their representatives, including uh, your own congressional and senate 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 representatives. Um, my name is Jane and uh, you know she's great and we love her but we want her to um we want them to to include the 25 billion that they're proposing to save um, the united states postal service and we want the 3.6 billion dollars needed for big election reforms right so just going back to wisconsin real quick postcards the number two wi is where you can get postcards we're sending two million to wisconsin and michigan um, you can get free shipping for your postcards, and uh, you provide the stamps and the effort to write these postcards out to these voters. Um, number two, for Michigan, as you know, Trump won by 10,704 votes. So shout out to Indivisible Michigan, who is getting out the vote for um, state seats, um, including, um, and also a congressional seat, Michigan 6th District for John Headley. So there, we're doing, um, in Indivisible Chicago is doing phone banks. And again, we're doing postcards, um, Wisconsin, Michigan, and then Illinois. Uh, we are also, we're promoting the idea that everyone should have um, a safe, secure, accessible elections, including in Illinois. It's going to take a lot of federal funding to, to get this up and running. But also, what is it that we can do locally? As you know, all the there's um, 108 election authorities in Illinois, and each one does their elections separately and differently. How is it that they are going to, if we're not able to get a um, mail-in um, ballot to every one of our, um, uh, everyone in the electorate in Illinois, how are we going to provide um, safe elections then? So we are asking people to call their election authority. We're asking people to call our, our governor, our good governor, um, to to um, expand vote by mail by sending all registered voters a postage paid ballot, not just an application of ballot, and establish safeguards to protect voters. We want to extend early in-person voting so not everyone has to vote on election day. We want to adopt or expand online and same-day voter registration. Uh, we want to take regulated measure, measures to protect the health of voters and poll workers. I mean, right now is the time that we need to start recruiting for our poll workers, right? And we need to start educating them on how to actually use their masks and their, their PPE. Um, and hopefully they will get not, uh, not just one bottle of sanitizer at their poll polling place. Um, we also want to conduct voter education campaigns to inform the public of new practices and immediately quash disinformation as it arises. We're asking all of our electeds to help us with that. And we're asking the election authority to also step up. So all of that is to say that um, please join a local indivisible group. You can go to indivisible.org and just type in your location and I will pop up your local um, chapter. So thank you, Ben. Um, that was indivisible Illinois, indivisible Chicago, um, indivisible around the Collar counties and all across the the state, we, we thank you for this um, opportunity to talk about it. And please, everyone, don't just get mad. We want you to actually volunteer um, and get out the vote starting now. It's not too early. Okay, that's uh, the Indivisible Report. Now, the Reader Report, uh, I'm showing, again, the, the, my Reader Coloring Book, my Reader 
uh, I call it my reefer book, uh, but uh, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion for Coloring Cooking. And there's a recently published third reader venture, The Greatest Hits of Lior Galil. Talk about that. Yeah, so this is awesome. Here's a front in there. So here's the front and the back. So it's very cool. You can see, um, if you can't see it, it says Chicago pop stars, hardcore heroes, and house legends, 10 years of Chicago reader music features by Lear Gallup. And I know that you had him on earlier, but this is what the cover is going to look like. It's, and it's, it's, and it's, it's about PDF and print. So you can get the print copy for just 30 bucks, the PDF for 15. Um, we'll be mailing them out probably next week. It's about 182 pages. Wow. I'm going to stress this out to look then. I've got Tracy Bain sitting um, six feet away from me. Social distancing, we've got our masks on. But uh, any time that I could put Tracy in front, I, I always do because she's amazing. So Tracy. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to mention, too, we're doing this um, Chicago Independent Media Alliance, SEMA. The website launched on Friday with 43 local outlets, including the Reader and a bunch of African-American, Latinx, Asian, LGBTQ media. If people go to savechicagomedia.org, they can donate to all or one of them. The campaign runs through June 5th. SaveChicagoMedia.org. We've already raised $15,000 from donors, and we have a $40,000 match from foundations. So we want to try to get to at least the $40,000. Um, and, you know, some of these outlets are really, really struggling right now. Certainly the reader is, but some of them are even a lot smaller than us. We have 28 staff. We've not laid off anybody. Um, and we've been really lucky. And um, so people think that's another way to support the reader, but also a lot of our colleagues in independent media. What was that website again? SaveChicagoMedia.org. Save Chicago. So again, at the top of the site, you can just $100 and it could go to everybody, or you can select different outlets, click to the next page, and then give like $10 to Left Out Magazine or $10 to ergo radio or whatever it might be so you, you have two ways to give and then the match will come after the campaign's over all right get to that 40 and we get the match uh so it's very important everybody who can contribute please do save chicago media <laughs> what's that yeah. Tr tracy i couldn't hear you yeah. what you say I think the foundations are going to match no matter what oh so they're hopefully match i want to raise because we've been four days in I, my goal is to try to get to at least 40. And I promised if we get, raise at least 25,000, then I'm going to wear a dress for the first time since <laughs> 1980. It'll be my I'm going to wear a dress. I posted a photo on Facebook with myself in the prom dress, senior prom at Lane Tech High School. And I was wearing platform sandals with white socks. <laughs> so if I get to 20,000, I'm going to wear platform sandals with white socks. 25,000, I will wear a dress. And 30000 I will have a beer, which I've had a beer once in my life at age 17, and that's sin. So $30,000, and I will drink a beer, and somebody will get to choose what beer that is. Okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, so what uh, what song were you listening to back uh, when you graduated at Lane Tech? What was on the Oh, my God. I don't have any clue. I certainly liked a lot of 70s soft rock. I had a lot of 45s. Um, we had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm also, my mom listened to a lot of Age of Aquarius, so I've got 60s and 70s in my head all the time. 
Well, that's uh, you're cut from the same cloth I am, Tracy Bame. I got the 60s and the 70s permanently going through my ear. And remember, I have Lior Galil on. He's always giving me grief because I don't know any of the songs that he's writing about. It's always kind of a funny interview. Uh, but uh, all right, that's imp- really important information, folks. And one more time, you can uh, order up the, the greatest hits of Lior. We talked about it earlier in the show today on the live stream show. Uh, he's got some fascinating articles. His, uh, his story about Chance the Rapper, one of the first articles about Chance, uh, the reader ran back uh, in 2013, I want to say, uh, and his profile of uh, Andre Vasquez, the alderman of the 40th Ward. Good stuff. It's all in that book. The greatest hits of Lior Galil, and the money goes to support the reader, and um, the reader has no bigger fan than me. I'm really uh, rooting for the reader uh for a lot of reasons but uh you can help us out by uh, ordering that book all right thank you very much uh lenny thank you very much tracy we're now going to uh pick up our great interview with heather booth on the phone live from wherever she is out in the east coast heather booth can you hear me okay heather great to hear you and great to be on with you ben I love your fighting spirit. Yes. You need it right now. I have some fighting spirit, and uh, here I am in the pandemic, Heather. Uh, we're doing this broadcast. Usually we have a little studio in the Chicago Sun-Times building, but uh, now for the last month and a half or so, we've been in my attic overlooking the alley. So uh, changing times have required uh, just a new way of life. I'll get into all that I want to introduce you to my listeners. Uh, you were on my old radio show, the one I had before I was uh, unceremoniously fired. Uh, but this is the first time you've been on my podcast. So it's a new set of listeners. And I just want to start by saying, Heather, I told you this before. Uh, many of my listeners are of the lefty persuasion. And many of them were Bernie uh, supporters. Uh, so one of the things I want to accomplish in this interview is to get you to articulate why you think it's so important uh, that uh, Democrats uh, support Joe Biden. You've, uh, you've made this point to me in several times and occasions uh, in several conversations, and I've sort of promoted this interview uh, along these lines. So we're going to get to all that, Heather, uh, but that's one of the points I want to accomplish in this. Are you uh, up for that? Okay, I'm glad. To be, are we on now? Or oh, we yes, starting? we are live and we are, we're not live, but we're recording well, right now. Great, great to be talking now. And as you say, you're in the, maybe you're in a studio studio, you're in studio apartment or studio <laughs> uh, instead of an official studio. And uh, much of the country is in lockdown. And we're in lockdown with among the highest death rates in the world, among the highest infection rates in the world. Because Trump was slow to respond, was more concerned about the stock market and Wall Street than he was about Main Street and real people's lives. So in defending himself, defending his own chances for election, was slow to respond. And one result is that then this virus took off in America without adequate testing, without adequate defense. Um, And now we are suffering the consequences. So there are many reasons. I am for defeating Trump and electing Joe Biden, who's the presumptive Democratic nominee. And I hope your listeners join in on this. All right. Uh, before we get back uh, in time, 
Uh, let's go back in uh, to the early days of Heather Booth. Take this opportunity, Heather, to introduce uh, my list, uh, yourself to my listeners. Talk about your early days as an organizer. This goes back to the 60s. Sure. Well, when I was a young teenager, I became active in the civil rights movement, first with uh, SNCC, the Student Nonviolence Coordinating Committee. And in 1964, I went to Mississippi with the Freedom Summer Project that many of your listeners may remember or heard about when Northern students were invited by courageous African-Americans in Mississippi to support their efforts in fighting for the right to vote. And poor black people were terrorized, and that summer project gained notoriety when three young volunteers, Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney, were killed at the hands of the Klan. And from that, I learned a number of lessons that have stayed with me one, that if you organize, you can change the world, and we need to organize, because following that summer of terror, there was a Voting Rights Act, and we made progress when we combined organizing with electing people to represent us. I then was very active in the women's movement, and still am active on it, Um I helped to create an underground abortion service called Jane, and the women of Jane performed themselves 11,000 abortions before Roe, uh, Roe v. Wade. And again, this is, there's a pushback. There's a pushback on voting rights. There's a pushback on whether or not women can decide when or whether they want to have a child. And it's this pushback that we're fighting still today. I was then active in the anti-war movement against the war in Vietnam. I met my husband, Paul Booth, in a sit-in against the war. He was the national secretary of SDS, Students for a Democratic Society. And then I was in labor organizing, and with a back pay suit that I won, and deciding I'd never be fired again, I started a training center that still exists, it's going strong in Chicago, now virtual, you can do it online, called Midwest Academy. It's a great training center, training organizers in a variety of kinds of organizations. And I then uh, started working on election campaigns when I realized that if we don't do politics, politics does us, as my friend Alice Palmer, uh, a great Chicagoan, has said. And I was very active in the Mayor Washington campaign. I was the deputy field director. Um, I worked more recently for Chewy Garcia when he ran for uh, mayor and worked uh, field director for Carol Mosley Braun when she won for Senate and was in a number of other campaigns. I moved to Washington and uh, started to run a lot of national issue campaigns or advise them. I was strategic advisor on the campaign for immigration reform when we thought there could be a pathway for citizenship. And there still can be if we organize. Um, I directed the campaign for financial reform that won the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that Elizabeth Warren spearheaded. I was the coordinator for the marriage equality campaign. I ran a massive campaign uh, for the NAACP action arm, um, NAACP National Voter Fund, the $23 million African-American get-out-the-vote effort, and other efforts. 
and I'm still working on campaigns um, now supporting one to lower prescription drug prices and make sure there's no profiteering by the prescription drug companies, especially during a pandemic. And generally trying to help where I can and doing everything I can to make sure Donald Trump doesn't return to office and leave a Democratic Senate and progressive organizations that are vital at the grassroots. So that kind of brings me up to the organizing um, broad work that I've done. Lots more details. Yeah. But that's the direction of the work. Now, Heather, when I met you in the 80s, uh, you were, it was either just during or right after uh, the Harold Washington campaign. You were living in Chicago then. You've since moved out of Chicago. Uh, and you say you were field director of Harold. I have a reason for asking the question I'm going to ask. I was deputy, deputy, deputy field, field director. My, I was Jackie Grimshaw's uh, deputy. I, I sit corrected. Uh, deputy field director. Uh, I'm not sliding you, Jackie Grimshaw. Deputy field director. All right. Uh, <laughs> and, I learned uh, so much from her. Yeah, an old friend, Jackie Grimshaw. Okay, deputy field director. So field director or deputy field director? This is important. I'm asking you this because I'm going to lead on to an uh, issue of what how Biden can defeat Trump. But talk about what a field director or a deputy field director does in a campaign. Well, it ensures that there's a grassroots operation, that people are mobilized, that uh, any part of a campaign begins by knowing what a candidate stands for and what the message is they want to say to the American public or the public in a city, a state, whatever area. And then the field operation conveys that message through various kinds of direct contact with people, one at a time or in groups, uh, now virtually. Now it can be done by peer-to-peer texting or by phone calls or by letters, postcards written, uh, by visibility created in the field. But it's by involving people in the campaign, um, giving them a stake in it, and helping them understand why the candidate is fighting for them. And uh, so you talk about would talk about a message that a candidate conveys. What was or what do you think the message that Joe Biden can uh, convey? to defeat Donald Trump. What message would you like to hear Joe Biden and the Democrats uh, articulate in order to defeat Donald Trump? Well, I think just taking what his own words are. Uh, let's see, there's an article. I don't remember what this article is in. Uh, but it just, someone sent it to me from yesterday. Um, it's called From the Intelligencer. It's a long article on uh, where Biden says both that he's on the people's side and against uh, the policies that have been undermining people's real lives for, for years. And what he calls for is an FDR-style presidency. He says it's not only that it's that what's needed now is something that might dwarf uh, what FDR did, but really might eclipse it overall. Um, and then goes on to say how we need enormous funding for an immense green enterprises, 
uh, larger backstop proposals, just reading from this, from cities and states, um, more relief checks for families, and a pollen moonshot for vaccine and treatment. Uh, something like the FDR War Production Board uh, with real investments in people and working families. So I think the main message, it's up to the candidate, of course, to decide what that is, but it's about being on the people's side and not on the side of the inside special interests that now surround Trump. And uh, so one of the criticisms about Joe Biden uh, that I hear so much on my show, because again, so much of my audience is a lefty audience, is that he's too much of a political uh, insider himself to uh, adequately convey that message. What's your response uh, to critics from the left who say this about Joe Biden? Well, I think we can judge based on what he's currently saying. These are changed times. There's a crisis that we are facing as a country, and it is changing us, and it's changing the nature of politics. Mm -hmm. And also, what's happened in the last few years since Occupy, since the uh, Bernie and Warren campaign, since people have taken to the streets with inspiring actions from the fight for 15 and Black Lives Matter and United We Dream, all of those efforts have changed us as a country. And also looking into the horror that is the Trump administration. It's changed us and the nature of um, the nature of our politics and the nature of how we talk about the politics, how we think about government at all. In fact, uh, people believing that government should act in our interest is again going up after years of going down because we see what happens when we have a government that's not functioning in our interest. So all of those things have changed this moment. And what we know is that Joe Biden comes out of a, a deep concerns for working class families, what, what his background is uh, originally and what he talks about, what is meaning for him. And the policies that he's now promoting reflect also these changing times. So, for example, he embraced Elizabeth Warren's bankruptcy proposal. He's now set up these um, uh, coordinating committees between the Bernie and Warren folks within the campaign. And uh, I think there are five or six areas that we're working on from education and criminal justice and health care to come up with what's a shared perspective so we can move forward. And on every one of those areas, the contrast between him and Trump is so dramatic that he is our, um, he's our bulwark right now to stop Trump. And I think people who care about stopping the abuse and the destruction that Trump embodies um, need to find ways to stop Trump actively, not just in words, and become part of the campaign, for the presidency, for the Senate, for the House, and local offices. 
Uh, Heather, when you view the conflicts that we're facing right now, when you view the challenges we're facing right now uh, on the eve of this election in the middle of this pandemic, what parallels do you see to what was going on in the country back in the 60s uh, when you, you, were, you were a young woman just starting out uh, organizing and working against the war, working for civil rights in Mississippi? What sort of parallels are there between then and now? Uh, part of the tragedy is that there are more parallels than I ever thought there would be. In the 1960s, I really believed that we would, we would see hardship, there would be conflict. But if we kept organizing with the political power we were developing, that we would be moving forward in a more steady trajectory. We still can but we have to keep organizing. One thing that really brought it home was the Wisconsin election. There in Wisconsin, in the middle of the pandemic, we had a Democratic governor who asked first, should we delay the election? And a Republican legislature denied that. And then he said, well, let's have an all vote by mail election. Everyone should get a ballot to be able to vote by mail. We still need to open up some uh, public voting places for people who can't uh, only vote by mail. But instead of doing that, the courts, controlled by the Republican appointees, denied the right to have the mail-in ballots universally available. And as a result, in Milwaukee, which previously had had 180 polling places, ended up with only polling places in places where the predominant African-American part of the state and that population lived, which Trump and the Republican legislature knew was not going to support them. And so people had to choose between the right to vote or risking their lives. And the last time that I saw that I was in a situation where people were asked to take the risk for their lives in order to vote was in Mississippi in 1964. And the thought that we're forcing people back to that kind of decision, it's immoral, it's inhumane. You're choosing between your own health, your family's health, the health of the people who if you vote, you go back and maybe you have a, an elderly or uh, more vulnerable person at home. And you, you could be carrying that disease. And we were asking people to choose and still people came out. And in that one election, uh, there was a key state Supreme Court race that was up for grabs. And the Democrat won. Jill Karofsky. But we've got to keep up that kind of organizing spirit mm-hmm. as we move forward. Uh, and uh, that was, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but Jill Karofsky is her name. She's the uh, justice uh, who was victorious in the Wisconsin uh, election. She de- defeated a Trump backer named uh, Dan Kelly, who Trump had supported. So I took that as a sign, uh, Heather, that the Democrats we're ready, we're serious about this election. And I, and I joke all the time about 
uh, how some of my li- uh, listeners are of the leftist persuasion and are really, uh, they're really tormented over having to vote for Joe Biden because he wasn't their first choice. And I feel their pain to a large degree. But my sense is, is that the electorate as a whole uh, is really eager to vote for pretty much any Democrat against Donald Trump. That's my. That's how I saw Wisconsin. Feel free to, uh, free to vigorously disagree with me if you want, Heather. But I saw Wisconsin as sort of a stand that Democratic voters were taking about how serious and determined they were. You know, they were w- risking their lives. I, I was one, I was, before that election, I was saying, oh my goodness, they did this, they're doing this to uh, un- undercut Jill Karofsky. It's all about electing Kelly so that they can control... Uh, the Supreme Court and and uh, in the state of Wisconsin and rule against the Democrats on issues like voter voter access and uh, how many voters are on the rolls, how many voters they can kick off the rolls. Heather, this is all tactical moves by a Republican Party that's very tactical. So we talked about what a field director does. Republicans are very tactical, and and my um, disappointment with the Democrats is they're so bad at this game. You know what I mean? They don't meet the Republicans head on at this game. And they always seem to be like two steps behind. But in Wisconsin, at the very, at the very least, it seemed like this was, an, this was a moment when the Democrats actually confronted the Republicans uh, head on and, and beat them at, uh, well, in, in, at least in voter turnout, getting out the vote. So it, I, I, would nope. say, go, I would say that Democrats are very serious, uh, even if they have issues with uh, Biden. And Lord knows a lot of Democrats have issues with Biden. They want to, they're with you. They want to defeat Donald Trump. Well, Wisconsin's an interesting story. The person who's the head of the Democratic Party in Wisconsin, you may have covered this on other shows, is Ben Wickler, mm-hmm. who was a, the D.C. staff director for Move On. And I had worked for Move On twice. I worked for Move On when I did the outreach for the Iran agreement, and I worked for Move On in the very early days. I actually think I was about the and maybe the fourth person they hired uh, to help connect them with the uh, national politics. And Ben Wickler, who comes out of that organizing background, he's now the state party director of the Democratic Party in Wisconsin. And so he knows about grassroots mobilization with being a serious political operative. And the importance is to marry and merge the two. When you say the Republicans are tactical, They may be tactical, but they are driven by an ideology and by uh, an ideology that says it's what matters for them. It's what matters for Wall Street. It's what matters for their close friends and uh, and their allies and not a concern about the general public. At least that's what the Trump Republican Party has become. Uh, that's why uh, Trump would say, don't work with the governors like the governor of Michigan, who's trying to defend people and, and still believe there should be a, um, you shouldn't open up the state when you've got such health challenges unless you have adequate testing. And Trump encourages them, uh, people in the state, to come into the state capitol armed with guns and automatic weapons threatening the life of the governor in the state. So they are driven by an ideology. And to the extent that it's tactical, the tactics are based on voter suppression and a human, uh, and un- a creating division in the public. Um, 
driving a hate in the public that's much greater than we've seen really any other time in my life. Even just uh, just a, a, a um, video of the uh, last press conference he had where uh, an Asian-American-looking reporter is asking him a question. And his response, because he thinks the question is hostile, says to her and to the crowd in general, well, why don't you ask that of China? So to spew a kind of hate, to lead, to lead us to turn on each other, um, to question Asian Americans, this is a way that tears at the fabric of America, which in many ways has been a country of immigrants as well as Native Americans. So in a way, everyone except the Native Americans are immigrants to the country or have been taken over uh, again in slavery. Uh, and in chattel, um, and he doesn't speak to that American experience. So, I, yes, it's tactical, but it's a tactics based in an ideology of hate, of division, of self-serving, and currently uh, tactics of voter suppression or um, either explicitly interfering with how people can vote or depressing the vote by, in fact, they can't raise up Trump's positive. That's not going to change. All they can do is tear down the opposition. And so we have to be on the lookout for it and realize that that's part of their ideology and that's part of their tactics. Do you think it's possible, you talk about hate and division, it was successful for Donald Trump in 2016. And I struggle this with this one, Heather. I try to be as optimistic and as positive as I can be. But I wonder, hate and division over love and unity, you know what I'm saying? It's like the dark side of humanity versus a a real groovy Beatles song in 1960. Can well, I didn't say no. Can the I do believe win? we need to have. Well, I do believe we need to have a love in our hearts, love at the center of what we do. But we can be both filled with hope and anger. What the Republicans want is for us to be filled with fear, fear of each other, fear of anyone who's different from us, fear of people whose ethnicity or skin or religion is unfam as not as familiar to us. But we can say we're not filled with fear. We are furious. We are angry. And that anger can motivate us based on a hope that if we unify, we can come together. I also think that just as a mindset, um, it's, not a, it's not a false hope that I think people should have, or a false Pollyanna uh, optimism. But uh, sort of in the words of uh, Antonio Gramsci, who you and many of your listeners probably know of, who was arrested by the fascists in World War II, wrote some prison diaries. And in the diaries, one of his most famous quotes is, we need pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. And pessimism of the intellect. We have to look at the situation squarely, 
see what can happen. Yes, they can steal the election. Yes, they can try and divide us. Yes, they can put children in prisons, in, in, in cages for uh, deportation. Yes, they can uh, take away our health care. Yes, they can threaten our lives. But optimism of the will. By God, we are going to drive forward. We can unify. Here's our plan. We can move ahead. And so I think it's that combination that we need, not a false optimism, but a pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. You're the first person who's uh, quoted Gramsci on this show. Uh, I just want to give you some kind of award for that, Heather Booth. Uh, although we, he's been alluded to before, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Mayor Pete, who was uh, in the running for uh, president of the United States for a while, and former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, her, his father was a scholar uh, who wrote, uh, I think he edited those prison diaries. He did a translation or edited them. Oh, know. my goodness. Yeah. People. You know, and, and also, uh, even, even Pete's an interesting guy. He started out. Um, I don't remember what he did. His uh, uh, the college paper he wrote that was in favor of um, anyway extremely progressive views, and we actually became somewhat friendly. I had been working for um, uh, Keith Ellison when he was running for DNC chair, mm-hmm. and Pete Buttigieg was also running for DNC chair. And there were five debates around the country. The, the staffs were very small, so that we all got to know each other. And um, I look forward to uh, working alongside of him, too, as he's moving forward. Uh, also, having decided, along with Bernie, along with Elizabeth Warren, along with others, to support Joe Biden as the bulwark against Trump. I... Uh... There was, uh, I, I already told you about this, uh, I've been talking about it a lot today. There was an interview over the weekend uh, that I heard uh, Molly Ball, who just wrote a book about Nancy Pelosi, was interviewed on NPR. Oh, yeah. And a fascinating interview. She was talking about Nancy Pelosi's uh, outlook, uh, Nancy Pelosi's background. But one point she hammered on was one that is a big theme on this show and a big theme in my writing. Love to get your response to it. And it goes back to something I was talking about earlier. And that is the Democrats play the game as though the Republicans are going to play fair. This is something that really annoys me, Uh Heather Booth. Democrats act like Republicans are bipartisan in spirit. Like if you play fair, the Republicans will play fair. And to me, that's like... I'm not sure. Go ahead. But Ben, I'm not sure that's where we are now. I I, I really, I'm not sure that's where... uh, I don't think it's where the public is now. I think the public sees through this. Um, I think there are still moments where you say, I wish it were different. There certainly are moments where you say, I don't have all the power. If I had all the power, I might do X. They've got a lot of the power. How hard can I negotiate so that we can get something that we can get through if you need to get it through? a Republican-controlled Senate. But that's different from believing that they are going to play fair. I actually think that the kind of uh, voter protection operation, uh, the kind of uh, opposition research being now done on the Republicans indicates that's not where 
uh, even mainstream political operatives and Democrats are now. And you, you mentioned Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. It's certainly not where she is. You know, there's, I, I didn't read the Molly Ball book, but I've read about it and I read uh, little excerpts from it. Uh, it sounds like a great book. Yeah. And, um, Oh, I no, think that's, Pelosi's interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. wait, let me just say, Nancy Pelosi doesn't fall for it. That's why I admire about her. She's very yeah. real about it. She's just, look, here we have in Illinois, I won't bur- burden you with this, but in Illinois we have this thing called a Fair Maps Initiative. Let me just, this is one of my r- favorite rants, Heather. Just just listen to this. These are Democrats in Illinois. In Illinois, the, the Democrats control the House and they control the Senate, all right? And they uh, have effectively drawn the map in Illinois so that they maintain an advantage. You have do-gooder Democrats joining with Republicans, trying to undercut the power they have, saying, well, we should be fair, and we should have fair maps, and we should take give, a, give up the advantage of drawing the maps. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that in Illinois when the Republicans do that in Wisconsin, when the Republicans do that in Michigan. Yeah. See, that's that. When they go low, we go high mentality that Democrats talk about and espouse. And Biden was doing a little bit of that. Well, I can work with Republicans. Tell me a Republican you can work with in the whole country. Tell me one Republican who's got the guts to stand up to Donald Trump. You can't do it. So this notion well, that— Well, we still have to see, uh, you know, there's been a rumor that would chase it, uh, come out and support Biden. We don't know. But, All right, you found uh, one. No, one I'm, that you I'm, might be I'm able to. A, we're, in a, we're in a partisan framework right now. And uh, the Nancy Pelosi spirit, uh, her understanding of what this reality is, and her driving ahead, um, thank goodness she's our, she's the leader of the Democrats in the, uh, in the House. I think it's gotten us um, what progress we've had. She's been able to cohere that group and keep it together and move forward. I can guarantee. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I can I'm guarantee not, I'm you. Not forgiving. I, I can guarantee you 100. percent She's not joining a fair maps initiative. <laughs> oh, I see. We have an advantage in <laughs> Illinois. Let's throw it away because we're so stupid. That's Democrats. <laughs> That's my beloved Democratic Party, Heather Booth. Oh no, we can. T- but you know, but yeah. you're, but you're over. The only thing is, you're overgeneralizing. We've also got, you've got a Democratic governor in uh, Illinois. Yeah. Uh, Pritzker. Yeah. And it is a see change what it means to have him uh, in office for labor, for women's rights, for civil rights, for uh, some greater degree of equality. We're not there yet. We're not where we want to be. We've got much further to go, but we're not where we were. So I'm just just watching out the blanket claims about this is what all all Democrats. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying, let me, let me make this one clear. I appreciate very much that J.B. Pritzker is our governor. He is such an improvement over the last governor we had, Bruce Rauner. No yeah. doubt about it. But I'm yeah. not one of those dumb Democrats who would say, oh, let's see. We have J.B. Pritzker. Right. He, he's the governor. We got Michael Madigan. He's the speaker. And we have Don Harmon. He's president of the Senate. We have an advantage in our state. I know what we'll do. We'll throw away that advantage and come to... <laughs> that's, Dem, that's that dem, that wimpy Democratic thing. Now, I hope your guy, Wickler in, in Wisconsin, he does seem a little more strategic. He does seem a little smarter. He's fabulous. Yeah. Then, you he's know, really fabulous. Uh, we need to support him. We need to support 
uh, people in museum, in fact, uh, we'll do whatever we can to support Wisconsin. Uh, in this election. Absolutely. You got to be smart like Harold Washington was smart in 1983. He, he didn't back oh, down. Oh, Harold, boy. You know, I wish Democrats you know, Harold, were like uh, uh, you, yeah. said, you said something else. And Harold. Yeah, go ahead. But and, and he was, though, a mayor of all the people of Chicago. And he welcomed people into City Hall. He called it the People's House. So you can convey that you're for all the people, uh, and you can convey that, and it doesn't mean that you're a fool uh, for understanding the dirty tricks that the opposition will do. And certainly, Harold saw those dirty tricks. Listen, the Dem- the Republicans have been employing Dem- uh, dirty tricks my whole life, and I just say this as a, I I've been voting Democrat my entire life heather my whole life i've been voting for this party okay and i can't recall a time when republicans weren't employing dirty tricks so i just always smile when democrats go i can't wait for those good old days of bipartisanship i'm like when were those days i i saw the republic try to manipulate chicago when harold was the mayor and uh you know i'll tell you i'll tell you a story though i i wasn't partisan aligned for much of my life. Mm -hmm. In fact, my first vote in 1968 was for Dick Gregory because I was too angry at Hubert Humphrey. (laughs) Hubert Humphrey was running against uh, Nixon. Yes. And Hubert Humphrey had a great civil rights record, but I was so angry about the progress that they were making on the war in Vietnam and that they wouldn't come out against the war in Vietnam and that Humphrey had supported uh, Johnson's position on the war, for the war, that I couldn't bring myself to vote for Hubert Humphrey. And I voted for Dick Gregory. You know, very few other people in the country voted for And those who don't know him, he's he since died, but he, he was a nationally recognized black comedian, activist, civil rights leader, of enormous insight and courage and outrageous uh, behavior. So I voted for Gregory. I was wrong. That was 1968. We got instead Richard Nixon. And Nixon pales in terms of what he's done for corruption and viciousness compared to Trump. But we got Nixon. The war in Vietnam went on. We saw the undermining of civil rights. So the undermining of, uh, of labor rights in this country and the creation of greater division. And I took away from that a lesson. And that is you need to keep your eye on where is the greatest evil that you're fighting against. And if you make progress against that evil and can build a power force that gains confidence because they say, well, at least we beat this. Then you can build a broader popular force to fight on and win more in the future. Defeat does not broadly increase our forces. Victory helps to increase our forces. So it matters that we organize and it matters that we win. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I gotta tell you this. 
I was, uh, there's a little bit of an age difference between us, not that much, but it was enough that I could not vote in 1968, all right? I love Dick Gregory. I would have voted for him in 68, <laughs> and I would be proud at this moment. By the way, you know, there, there only were about, I think, 10,000 people in the whole country who voted for him. I know. <laughs> you were not- one of them. Uh, but, but I'll say this, and this pro- gets to the heart of what I'm saying about how bipartisanship has never existed. While a very young and idealistic Heather Booth, uh, I don't know if your last name was Booth in those days, but whatever. A very young and idealistic so, uh, Heather was well, by sixty-eight. It was Booth. Yeah. Okay, was voting yeah. for Dick Gregory just because she um, was outraged and justifiably so at the pro-Vietnam War policies of Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, that were silently supported by his vice president Hubert Humphrey. So, in effect, that you felt that you voting for Hubert Humphrey would be voting to. Uh, for the status quo of the Vietnam War. I think that's what probably drove you back in 1968. While you were yeah. reaching that conclusion, little did you know that behind the scenes, the Republican nominee for president, Richard Milhouse Nixon, follow me in this, folks, I'm going to give you a little history lesson here, was working behind the scenes to undercut the Paris peace talks. And he was assuring the South Vietnamese delegates that don't worry, yeah. if you hold out, I'll get you a better deal, which, of course, was a bunch of lies. You couldn't get him a better deal. We were involved in a civil war in a country on the other side of the of the globe. And uh, so he sabotaged. You can hear all these uh, phone conversations about this. Heather, it's on YouTube. Lyndon Johnson, the president, knew what was going on. He was so frustrated, upset. And so this is my point. It's It's like so much of our politics is... Uh, viciously uh, by uh, partisan and you cannot go into an election thinking if you're nice or just purely idealistic you're going to win Heather I really think I'm yeah go ahead I'm and that's why I I call on people to remember our values drive us forward I do think we keep love in our heart and a hatred for the in and anger at the injustice that we see, but you need to organize. It's not just a question of words. It's a question of doing. Are you talking to others? Are you engaging them? Are you connecting with the people in Illinois, but in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, in Nevada, in North Carolina, in Georgia, and around the country? And there's so many ways to be involved, and I hope the people who are listening to this pod uh, podcast or live streaming uh, will uh, not only stay as armchair activists, but will get involved, do the organizing. And when we organize, then we have a chance of winning. All right. Very good. That's about as good a point to end it uh, as we've got. Uh, Heather Booth, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and uh, keep up the fight. All right. Thanks so much, Ben. This was great and look forward to uh, connecting with you in the future. That's a great Heather Booth. Take care, everybody. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.